Welcome back to the Foul Balls podcast for NFL Week 14. This is Matt and I's second try at doing this because we just started and the audio was shitty, so resetting it. We were nominated for Fantasy Podcast of the Year, so that is very exciting. Uh, something to put on the resume that I don't have to send out anywhere because I don't really have a real job, so I don't need resumes. So for this NFL slate, we have 13 games. This will be the biggest slate remaining of the NFL season because starting next week we have the Saturday games that get going. First game on this slate, Indianapolis Colts, the Buffalo Bills. Injury news to watch out for is that Tyrod Taylor is questionable to play with a knee injury. If he's out, then it's going to be another start for Peterman. He was so bad in his first career start. So it was funny because Matt and I were actually looking at this, and I said, well, if Peterman starts, I would actually consider the Colts. I think that seems ridiculous. But this is before we even looked at the pricing. The Colts defense priced all the way up to 3500 the third most expensive defense on the slate. The Colts defense is terrible. That is the impact of no Peterman and how bad he is. So is there a Vegas line for this game yet, Matt? Uh, no, there is not. And yeah, I think the reason that we're probably one of the best podcasts this year is because we're so diligent about making sure that our audio and all of our, all of our sounds are good. So yes, yeah, second try here. Uh, hopefully this goes better, but yeah, no, no information for the bills Colts game from Vegas. And I think it's just, it, it definitely makes the Colts defense unusable. Obviously it would be a good spot for them against Peterman, who is really turnover prime. I mean, he threw six interceptions in half of a game. So to say that Nathan Peterman is interception prone is probably a huge understatement. But I can't imagine that he's overvalued at this point because the perception of him is just so bad. If he starts... Accurately. Maybe, but I think it, it might be a little excessive because it's it's almost impossible. It, it's, it's an easy thing to say that it's impossible for somebody to do worse the uh, the they can only go up from here yeah, is the he same. Threw, he threw, like, he had six turnovers and a half. He's not, he can't be worse than that. Right, like, sometimes you say, oh, he can't do worse, but it is still possible for someone to do worse. He act, he almost threw an interception on every single play, so it really isn't going to be easy for him to do worse. I don't think it actually is possible. Uh, in terms of actually using him, though, I wouldn't do that either. There's a minimum for what a quarterback can cost on DraftKings. I mean, if, if Nathan Peterman was literally free, maybe I'd use him, but at 4,400, I still wouldn't. Uh, if Tyrod Taylor ends up starting, though, I think he's a good play at 5,100. Um, I don't really like LaShawn McCoy. The Colts are a lot better against the run than they are against the pass. But Tyrod Taylor is fairly interesting if he ends up being the starter this week. Yeah, I think the one other guy who could make some sense is Frank Gore, all the way down at 3,900. The Buffalo Bills' run defense has just been terrible since they traded away Marcel Darius. So I think there's some upside in Frank Gore to a really cheap 3,900 price tag. Yeah, I think Gore is usable too. 3900 is really low. I think there are other running backs in that price range who I prefer, but I don't dislike Gore. I think that there's some value there. Uh, T.Y. Hilton is still kind of cheap also. It's not the easiest matchup, and it's going to be an outdoor game where the conditions... It's going to be cold. I don't think there's supposed to be much wind, but it's going to be very cold. I, I think the game is supposed to be in the 25 to 35 degree range, which... Hurts passing a little bit. Uh, that temperature, maybe not a ton. But the Colts normally play in a dome, so that probably means that they're less equipped to go into a cold outdoor stadium and do well there. I think overall I'm pretty low on the Colts passing game for this matchup, even though the prices are sort of reasonable. So the two players I would consider are probably just Gore and then Tyrod Taylor if he's playing. Yeah, I think... Um... I'm not going to say that LaShawn McCoy is totally out of play just because he does also get points via PPR. 
And there are so many cheap guys that we're going to like this week. And we just have to pay up somewhere. So I definitely think that there, I could see myself rostering some McCoy, although it's not like he's going to be one of my higher-run players or anything like that. Yeah, I think I'm more inclined to use McCoy if Taylor is playing because then he can actually catch some passes. Uh, if Peterman starts, I think the whole Bills offense uh, is oh, yeah, a no-go. Yeah, that's definitely fair. If Peterman starts, I'm not using anybody on their offense. So even though McCoy is a running back and the Bills figure to run the ball more frequently if Peterman's in, the effectiveness would be sapped so much that I think it's just not worth it. So yeah, if, if Taylor is the starter, I think McCoy's usable even in, let's call it a neutral matchup. Uh, because he is so versatile, and he is a lot cheaper than some of the other higher-priced running backs like Todd Gurley and Melvin Gordon are around 8000 each. McCoy's only at 7200 so I certainly prefer McCoy to those guys. All right, so next game, the Minnesota Vikings at the Carolina Panthers. What is the Vegas info for this game? The public really likes the Vikings, and the public usually likes the Vikings, but this seems like a spot where the Panthers are fairly undervalued. I'm just not sure how well it translates to actual DFS picks. The Vikings open as one-point favorites. They're up to almost three-point favorites behind some fairly heavy public sentiment. The over-under, though, has dropped from 42 to 41. This game could have some weather concerns in Carolina. Probably not a ton, uh, even though it is an outdoor game and we're in I December think the now. I think the weather's supposed to be fine. Uh, yeah, just outdoor game in December in any part of the country is at least something to monitor. Um, just I had it up. Let me see again what we're looking at in Carolina. So we're looking at temperatures around the high 30s, maybe 40 degrees with minimal wind. So not, not a big concern. But yeah, the, uh, the Panthers as three-point underdogs, I think that they're undervalued by that point spread, and that could be reflected in terms of ownership. But it's really just not a great matchup for them. So even if you like the Panthers to cover the spread or win the game or whatever – I don't really see what players you can use from Carolina to actually take advantage of that situation. Yeah, so I like the Vikings side of this game. I like Case Keenum, Adam Thielen, and Stefan Diggs. I think that's a really good quarterback and double wide receiver stacking option. And also, so Pro Football Focus has this cool thing where they do like these wide receiver cornerback matchup charts. And it's basically which wide receivers, based on the cornerback they're going to be going up against, have the best matchups of the weekend. And Thielen and Diggs, I think, are fourth and sixth in terms of most favorable matchups this weekend. So I think that that seems like a pretty good situation for the Vikings passing game. And they're also not really too, too expensive. So Thielen is, is pricey at 7200 But Stephon Diggs at 5800 that's reasonable for him. Case Keenum at 6100 that's reasonable considering how good he's been over the last few weeks. It's funny, too, because when, uh, when Sam Bradford originally got hurt, we were targeting uh, defenses against him. And I think really everybody was. Like the first couple weeks he started, that was the chalk play. You just it was like, oh, the Vikings are gonna have no passing game now. Bradford out. Case Keenum is so much better than Sam Bradford, and in hindsight that looks so ridiculous. But I like Case Keenum a decent amount now, and I think it's ridiculous that people are saying, like, oh, what's gonna happen when Teddy Bridgewater comes back? Uh, nothing should happen when Teddy Bridgewater comes back. Case Keenum should be the quarterback. He's been really good this year. So the the issue with the Panthers, and I think this actually will keep the Vikings pretty low owned also. They are 8th in pass DVOA, and they're 5th against the run. So I'll, I'll say this. I have no interest in the Vikings running game. I think you could roster Jarek McKinnon because even though he is a running back, he functions as more of a pass catcher anyway, but definitely no Latavius Murray. But as far as the Vikings passing game goes, although the Panthers are 8th in pass defense DVOA, 
They're actually 23rd against number one receivers and 17th against number two receivers. And the reason that that's possible is because they're, they're the second best team at defending tight ends. So it's basically that the Panthers are, they're an elite team at defending other teams' tight ends, but they're actually below average in pass defense at the rest of the areas. So it's not really a hard matchup for the Vikings receivers at all. Uh, it's a little bit of a downgrade because they're on the road, but it's not like we were starting out with a baseline of a difficult matchup. So I definitely wouldn't use Kyle Rudolph, but Adam Thielen and Stefan Diggs, I think, are both viable. Um, I don't really have much interest in a game stack. This should be a pretty low-scoring game, and the over-under has been dropping also. But I think using either Thielen or Diggs in some lineups probably is a good strategy this week. All right, so next game is Bears at Bengals. I think this is a really simple game. Joe Mixon in the concussion protocol looks like he isn't going to play. If he's out, Giovanni, Giovanni Bernard starting at 3,100 running back is the best value play on the slate and one of the best value plays of the season. Uh, Jeremy Hill also out for the season. So we're going to have Bernard pretty much in the backfield by himself at the min price. Easiest lock to hit value of the entire season. Yeah, Bernard is going to be the highest-owned player this week by far if Mixon sits, but I don't really care. I mean, he, you if you don't roster him, there's an incredibly high likelihood that you're just missing out on a ton of value that everyone else is going to have. And even though he'll be the highest, I mean, you don't see players in GPPs owned. He's not going to be 90% owned. Maybe he's 40 to 50% owned, uh, but I think it's certainly the right move to go overweight on him. I'll probably have him in every single one of my lineups. And he's really the only player to consider that heavily from this game because the rest of the Bengals are fairly expensive. Not really Andy Dalton. He never is. But A.J. Green at 7300 is it's a little bit cheaper than he is on some weeks. Uh, it's not the greatest matchup, though, and I think there are just better receivers to pay up for. The Bears are decent on pass defense, uh, 14th against the pass, 12th against the run. So it's not really a great matchup for Bernard either. Uh, it's just the price makes him such a strong value. Uh, so this is this is a, an uninteresting game overall in terms of expecting a lot of points, but the price tag on Bernard is just too low, so he's the one guy to target. Yeah, and then the other thing also is um, I think that the Bengals' defense makes some sense in this game. Just Trubisky's been not good at all as the starting quarterback, and there's just good correlation between Bernard and the Bengals' defense. And if there is a point where the Bengals get ahead, and they're running the ball out with Bernard, and then there's also a situation where Trubisky's been forced to throw the ball. I think that there's a decent amount of upside in the Bengals' defense, especially combined with Giovanni Bernard. Yeah, I like that a lot, too. The Bengals are six-and-a-half-point favorites also, so it figures that the Bengals would have the lead late in the game, more likely than not, and the correlation is always something to shoot for. So if you're going to have a running back in every single lineup, you probably want to have at least some of that defense. And, yeah, I think it does make sense, based on the matchup, too, to use the Bengals so it, it probably will be the most popular defense that either of us uses. Uh, there are a couple other ones that are in good spots and might be independently better value, but for correlation purposes, this is probably the best one that makes sense for lineup construction. All right, next game, the Green Bay Packers with the Cleveland Browns. This is the one really expected bad weather spot of the week. We have potential snow in the, pod, uh, snow in the podcast, snow in the forecast, so right now, I'm seeing a 20% chance of snow and a lot of wind, cold. So this is going to be bad weather, good spot for the defenses. Let's see, what are the Browns are priced at? Boy, they're way down here. Did I pass them? Oh, here they are. 
2600 So I think the Browns at 2600 that's a really strong spot. Bad weather, Brett Hundley, not good. The Browns are also good against the run. The Packers have done most of their damage running the ball with Jamal Williams lately. I think a good spot for the Browns' defense. I think it's a decent spot for the Packers' defense also. They're just too expensive for me at 3700 I'd rather pay down for the Bengals, and I expect the output for the Browns' defense to be higher than the output for the Packers' defense at 1100 cheaper. Yeah, this is also one of the sharper line movements of the week. So the Browns opened as four-point underdogs, and the line has dropped to three now. It's not really based on the game being lower scoring, though. The over-under has actually moved up from 39.5 to 40.5. I guess it probably just opened at too low of a number. Maybe Josh Gordon being back has boosted the total a little bit. And also, these teams are kind of turnover-prone, not particularly good quarterbacks. So it could just be short fields as a result of turnovers. Maybe the weather actually... It's also a low number anyway, though. Yeah, I think that's the biggest fact. I think the two biggest factors are that it was a low number and that Josh Gordon is now playing. So whatever ratings you have for the Browns offense, they probably just go up going forward because Gordon helps their offense a decent amount. Uh, I would normally like Josh Gordon. We actually talked about this before we started that he was a strong value at 5,500, but that was before we looked at the weather. So if the weather is as bad as we think it'll be, I think it makes sense to still have a little bit of Gordon, but... I'd probably be light on him. There's uh, there's a lot of upside for him because it does seem like the Browns want to get him a lot of targets. The Packers are bad against the pass. And I think that the ownership will be pretty low because the Browns are underdogs. And I think they're just there's a better chance for them Josh to... Gordon, I think Josh Gordon would be very highly on this. Just because he's a... I, but, but that's not even... I, I, don't, I don't even care about that. I just don't like to use passing games in bad weather. Specifically, bad quarterbacks in bad weather. Like, I don't want to use the Deshaun Kaiser wide receiver in bad weather. So, if if we're going to get snow and wind, then I'm not going to use Josh Gordon, and he's going to. I'm going to be zero point zero percent of my lineups if the weather is bad. Well, if it, if it's snowing, then I definitely don't want to use him. But if it's just cold and kind of windy, then well, yeah, I guess I'm thinking about it now. His ownership should be reasonably high, just because he's a really popular name that everyone knows about. So it's not like you're you're going that contrarian to use him. Yeah, he's probably in a bad weather game, not really usable. Uh, but on the Browns' defense, I, I have it right now. They're uh, they're bad against the pass, good against the run. I think I finally figured it out. And the Packers, uh, the Packers are the same thing. So the Packers run the ball really well, and they don't pass well. They're, I think that they're still in the top three in run offense DVOA. So if they're going to run a lot, and the Browns, they're running right into what the Browns are the best at stopping. It's just it sets up as a really good matchup for the Packers. I mean, really good matchup for the Browns' defense and a bad matchup for the Packers' offense. The one thing we do have to monitor, though, is that Miles Garrett is listed as questionable. Uh, I forget exactly what the injury is, but just pulling it up now. Uh, I'm going to use the Browns whether he plays or not, though. No, I know. I'm just I, I'm thinking about it in terms of percentage exposure to them. Like, if Miles Garrett gets through concussion protocol and is active, then the Browns probably will be my highest owned defense. But if he doesn't play, I think I'll probably have the Bengals more. Either way, though, I think those are my two favorite defenses. They're both worth using. And it's a really good spot for the Browns if Garrett's out, but it's an even better spot if he's in. I would agree. And those are my two favorite defenses as well. Next game on the slate is the high-paced San Francisco 49ers. They go nowhere very quickly against the Houston Texans, led by Star Tom Savage. What is the line for this game? The Texans are open at minus one. They're up to minus two and a half. The public is on the Texan side. I think that the fair line is probably somewhere between there. The over-under at 43 and a half. 
Uh, I think a lot of people will just kind of overlook this game because it's two bad teams and I don't know, you don't usually get a lot of fantasy production from either of them, but they're, you were also looking at two really bad defenses and the Niners with the tempo that they play at, it could lead to a substantially higher scoring game than most people realize. The issue is figuring out where the production comes from, at least on the Niners side, because for the Texans, it's going to be heavy DeAndre Hopkins. He's priced at 8500 so I don't think there's a lot of value in the price tag, but if you have the salary to pay up for him, if there ends up being a lot of cheap value plays, which it kind of seems like there are, you're using the Browns defense, which is cheap, and you have the salary to use Hopkins, I think he's usable. And then uh, on the Niners side, I think it's really only Carlos Hyde because their receivers are a little more expensive than they've been. Marquise Goodwin's now over 5,000, but Carlos Hyde just still in the 6,000 area. I think he's at exactly 6,000 on DraftKings. Uh, good value every week, essentially. He's involved in the running game, the passing game. He plays a ton of snaps. And with Garoppolo at quarterback, it's probably a little bit of a boost for him. So I think Hyde is the best value of either team, and then Hopkins is usable just if you have the money to pay up for him. Yeah, I think uh, I think Garoppolo to Goodwin is probably not terrible just because I think that Garoppolo is probably a pretty decent quarterback with the chance to be a very good quarterback. We talked about this last week. We just don't really have a huge amount of sample watching Jimmy Garoppolo outside of the Patriots to know whether he's actually good or not. But my, my feeling is that he's going to be a good quarterback, and he's definitely an upgrade over, over Bethard. So Goodwin at 5,100. Last week he had eight catches for 99 yards. So just having a competent quarterback I think helps him a lot and just the de facto number one receiver because he doesn't have anybody else to throw to. So I think that makes sense. And then, like you said, also Carlos Hyde I think is a good option in this in this game. And so then, uh, the next game I'm – Well, hold on. I'll throw in one more name. You're, you're not going to like this one, but Will Fuller is expected to be back this week, and his price is all the way down to 4,300. So I think with the touchdown upside that he has and the big play upside – He's worth using. And then, yeah, I agree with you on the Garoppolo-Goodwin connection. They're a little pricey, and I think I like cheaper combos more, but uh, they warrant some consideration because it's, it's not a bad spot for them. Yeah, well, to me, the biggest difference with Fuller's touchdown upside is the, when he had the touchdown upside, Deshaun Watson was the quarterback, and Deshaun Watson was really good. Tom Savage is not really good, so I don't really like Will Fuller this week. Um but it's whatever. I guess he has big play potential because he scored a lot of touchdowns this year. But I tend to think that it had more to do with Deshaun Watson being a really good quarterback than Will Fuller being a really good wide receiver. Yeah, I agree with that also. He's just, his price is just down a lot. So I think there is upside. Even Like if Watson was the quarterback and Fuller cost 4300 I think he'd be both of our favorite receivers this week. So it, it, it is it would be way too cheap if Watson was playing. It might still be a little too cheap with Savage playing. All right, next game on the slate. This is going to be, in all likelihood, the highest-scoring game of the week. It's going to be the highest-owned spot of the week. It's also my still my favorite spot of the week. The Oakland Raiders, the Kansas City Chiefs. Marcus Peters, the Chiefs' best cornerback. He's been suspended by the team for a week after he got called for penalty at the end of the game last week. He picked up the flag and threw it in the stands. I don't know if he thought that the ref would forget he threw the penalty flag or nobody would see it, but whatever. That was his reaction. And then he just walked off the field. The Chiefs tried to bring him back, and he was like, no, I'm, I'm done playing now. And so, like, okay, you're suspended. So, weird situation. Never seen that before. Never see it again. Uh, but it's a big downgrade to an already crappy Chiefs defense. So, what is the over-under for this week, Matt? And I assume that's the highest of the, of the slate. Uh, it's not the highest. It's below uh, the Eagles-Rams game, just slightly, though. The total is 47. Okay. It's 47 and a half. 
The Chiefs open as four and a half point favorites. I think the line's actually down to three, three and a half or four now. And that probably has a decent amount to do with Peters not playing. There's probably some bias against the Chiefs also because they just lost to the Jets and they've just been bad recently. The Raiders are coming off a win, but it was against the Giants. So the public kind of just sees last week's results and is a little bit too high on the Raiders. I don't think that'll translate to DFS though, because even though the Chiefs played worse than the Raiders, they were way better from a fantasy perspective. The Chiefs' offense was the winning lineup for every tournament last week, at least their passing game, because Kareem Hunt wasn't very good, as always, or as is the new norm for him. But the Kansas City passing game with Alex Smith and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill, those three guys should have really high ownership. I think it's a good spot for them, but I probably prefer the strategy of using Hunt and the Raiders' passing game. Uh, for for tournaments at least because of ownership reasons. And I think there's a lot of expected output from basically everyone here. So if I had to pick a side to use the passing offenses from, I think it's the Raiders because they probably will be lower owned even though the betting is more on their side. Um, And also the Raiders are a lot cheaper and this game should be close. It's not like the Chiefs have way more expected output than the Raiders do. The Raiders just cost a lot less. Uh, Mari Cooper being out, actually boosts their fantasy outlook because they're getting uh, they're getting snaps from cheaper players. And then also Marcus Peters being out helps them too. So I like both sides, but I'm leaning towards the Oakland side. Yeah, so the other thing also is we know where the targets are going to be going in the Oakland passing game. They're going to be filtered to Michael Crabtree. Amari Cooper looks like he's not going to play. Uh, we saw last week there wasn't really a reliable target for Derek Carr. He kind of, kind of spread the targets out. And I just think it's really reasonable to expect that he is two really good receivers who usually get almost all of the targets in the offense. That's Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree. Last week they were both out and they got spread around. This week with only one of them active, it's just going to go to Crabtree, who's the guy who he relies on a lot and is active. Crabtree is also his favorite red target anyway. So Crabtree is, I think, a really strong guy to pay up for at 6,700, especially with Marcus Peters out. And overall, this should just be a really high-scoring game. I think you could stack this game. You could use Derek Carr. You could use Michael Crabtree. You could use Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey, Alex Smith. There's a lot of good plays here. I like this game a lot. Yeah, two more receivers from the Oakland side, Seth Roberts and Corderell Patterson. I guess Patterson doesn't technically start. Roberts should start uh, opposite Crabtree, and then Patterson plays in the slot, should get some targets. Uh, Let's let's talk about Kareem Hunt for a second, though. He's down to 6,500. I know that... You had said before we started, if Charkhandrick West plays, you wouldn't use him. But I still think Kareem Hunt's in play. Even when West has played, Hunt's percentage of the snaps has been sort of fine. It's just that the Chiefs, the game flow has not favored Hunt whatsoever. They've been losing in a lot of games. And even when they had the lead against the Jets, they were scoring on their drives so quickly that Hunt just didn't have time to get the ball. So the Chiefs had four touchdown drives against the Jets. And they were five plays, five plays, one play, and one play. So the time of possession for that game ended up being 43 minutes to 17 minutes in favor of the Jets. There was just no opportunity for Kareem Hunt to get the ball because the Chiefs passing game was so efficient. And while this is a good spot, again, for the Chiefs passing offense, we can't really expect that they're just going to score on the first play of every drive again. So at this price, do you think Hunt's usable or are you standing by if Charkandrick West plays, you don't trust him enough? I mean, I guess he's, I think he's usable, but I just think that there's better, I think there's better guys to target. I think, uh, like, Giovanni Bernard we're going to like a lot. Like, guys like Frank Gore, 
I would rather pay a few hundred extra dollars for LaShawn McCoy, who I just think is a better player. Yeah, I guess that's the disagreement if, um, in the price tier that we're talking about. Because, yeah, I mean, I'd obviously prefer to use those cheaper running backs too, especially Bernard. But if we're talking about Hunt versus, like, McCoy and Carlos Hyde and other running backs priced similarly, I think Hunt's the better play. Uh, maybe McCoy, I don't know. I think it's close between those two guys. McCoy is more reliably involved in the offense, but Hunt does have the easier matchup. So I probably prefer him for that reason. And the $700 difference, while it's not that much, it's still not entirely insignificant. So I think, and then also, well, compared to McCoy, the ownership probably won't matter. I think both those guys will be pretty low owned. But I imagine that almost no one wants to continue to roster Kareem Hunt at this point. So it should be pretty contrarian. Yeah, I, I still think people are going to use him because people use him every week. Um, and then 6500 like, it's cheaper than he's been, except I would just say that he was probably too expensive before. Yeah, he probably was, although I, I don't think he was too expensive against the Jets. When he was priced in the 8000s, that was probably too much. But I think, I think it's kind of gotten out of control at this point because he's been pretty unlucky in terms of the way the games have played out where he just the Chiefs haven't had enough snaps where they've been in a situation to run the ball. Yeah, I mean, I could, I could see it. Um, I, I really don't think I'm gonna have a lot of, uh, of cream hunt this week, but we shall see as the week progresses. Next game on the slate: Detroit Lions at the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Lions about an average defense. Buccaneers really bad defense. But one thing that we need to pay attention to is that Matt Stafford is questionable with a hand injury. Uh, they said he practiced in uh, limited fashion today because he was not able to throw the ball. So. He practiced by just handing off. That was all he did. He spent the entire practice running, just handing the ball off to running back. So very productive practice for Matt Stafford. Is there a line for this game with Stafford status unknown? No, there is not. And the backup quarterback would be Jake Rudock, who I know nothing about except that his first play coming in in relief for Stafford last game resulted in a pick six. And I don't know if he actually threw another pass or not. It seems like it's an obvious massive downgrade for the Lions offense, and it makes their receivers unusable, even in a good matchup. I would probably even consider the Tampa Bay defense if Stafford misses the game. But if Stafford plays, it's a, it's definitely a good spot for the Lions passing offense against a very bad Bucks secondary, and Golden Tate and Marvin Jones aren't that expensive. So it really is entirely dependent on what the, stat, the status of Matt Stafford is. Uh, yes, I agree with that. And uh, this is just one of those situations we have to wait and see before really making any determinations about this game because if Stafford's out, I like the Tampa Bay defense. If Stafford's in, then I like the Lions passing offense. So the next game on the slate is the where is it? Oh, Dallas Cowboys and New York Giants. So obviously a lot of drama with the Giants this week. Eli Manning was benched for Geno Smith. Now the Giants cleaned house. Jerry Reese, the GM, is gone. Bob McAdoo, the coach, is gone. Uh, Steve Spagnuolo, defense coordinator, is taking over as the head coach. And in addition, Eli Manning back in a quarterback against the Giants, almost min-price against a terrible Cowboys defense. So I like this spot quite a bit. What is the over-under for this game? The Giants are, well, they opened as six-point underdogs. The line is actually down to four now, and it seems to be trending lower. The total is around 43, but that seems to be moving around a bit. The public is really heavy on the Dallas side, though. I think that will sort of be reflected in ownership. I don't think too many people are going to see Eli coming back and think, okay, now I need to roster the Giants passing game. I need to stack the Giants. I think it's definitely going to be a contrarian pick to use the Giants this week. 
and that's fairly evident with the betting information. But I I like the Giants passing game a lot, even with Sean Lee coming back. I know he matters a decent amount, but it can't really be that much. Uh, the, the Dallas defense has been bad all year, even when Lee was playing. And the Giants are extremely cheap. Uh, Evan Ingram is at 6000 but everyone else is really cheap. So if you're using Eli Manning and Sterling Shepard, it's it's not really... There's plenty of salary left to use Ingram also. Uh, the issue then, though, is that you probably want to stack both sides of the game if you're going for a full game stack. Like, I don't think it makes a ton of sense to use Eli and two or three of his receivers and not use any Cowboys. So maybe it's just... The best value here is probably just Eli with Shepard and not a full game stack, but go for that quarterback-receiver correlation because Eli at 4500 and Shepard at 5300 that's just... It's kind of insane prices for them in this matchup. Yeah, I kind of feel the same way about the Cowboys' offense, though. Uh, Dead Bryant's pressed all the way down to 5,900. Dak Prescott all the way at 5,600. The Giants' run defense has been bad. They're 24th in DVOA. And Alfred Morris is at 5,500. Alfred Morris had a ton of carries for a ton of yards last week. So I think all three of those guys are definitely in play for me as well. Yeah, Des Bryant's targets have been trending down, though. I don't know if he's been playing hurt or... I'm not really sure what's wrong with him, but his last two weeks he's only at 12 total targets, and he was in the. That's eight, still a, that's eight, still a decent amount for somebody at 5,900, and he had 14 targets three weeks ago. Yeah, I I guess the injury stuff that maybe there has happened recently. I'm not sure. I mean, Des has definitely been really inconsistent this year, but well, it, they, it, they it is true that it, much last week because they won 38 to 14, and he, he had seven targets. But the reason it was only seven targets was because they won by 24 points. Well, at the same time, the week before that, when they were losing the entire game, he only had five targets. So maybe that was the anomaly. I don't know. But if, the, if there is a matchup for someone to break out and have a big game that they haven't had in a few weeks, it probably is against the Giants, who are just terrible on defense. So, yeah, I mean, you could use... I have no problem with using Bryant with Eli and with Shepard and maybe with Ingram, but I definitely prefer the Giants side of the game. Um... I, I think the Cowboys are usable, not really as their own stacks, but probably in full game stacks. I just, I like the Giants a lot more than Dallas. Yeah, I like both sides a lot. I'm going to stack this game uh, a lot this week. I think that, uh, I think the prices are too low. I think the over-under is probably a bit too low. I like this game. Yeah, the public uh, so likes the under the also, just to throw that in there. There isn't any bias towards the over. Uh, the total, I guess it's between 41 and 43. It's kind of different everywhere. It's not it's yeah, not it's, too high because of the public. The public actually thinks that this game will be pretty low scoring, so maybe there is some value that there's going to be more points overall than people think. Yeah, it's just the, the defense is so terrible. I mean, I know the offenses aren't great, but it's not like the I, I, there's still talent on the Dallas offense. Like I still think Des Bryant's one of the better wide receivers in the NFL. I still think Dak Prescott's good. The Cowboys have a really good offensive line, and the Giants' defense stinks. The Cowboys' defense stinks. I could definitely see this game being a shootout. So next game on the slate, uh, we're moving into the 4 o'clock games. It's hammer time. Tennessee Titans at the Arizona Cardinals. Um, what is the line and spread for this one, Matt? The Titans are three-point favorites, and the total is about 43.5. The public is actually on the Arizona side as home underdogs, which is really rare. And I think that there's just... Now this very strong bias against the Titans, I definitely think that'll be reflected in DFS ownership too. No one's going to be using Marcus Mariota. No one's really going to be using the Titans at all. And I don't know if I will be either because they've just been so awful. But I think 
at the very least, you'll know that you're being contrarian if you do decide to use the Tennessee offense. Yeah, I think this is a pretty uninteresting game. There isn't really anybody I like a lot from either side. Uh, and I feel very similarly about the next game on the slate, the Jets at the Broncos, the uh, amazing pass game of the Denver Broncos. I guess I, I assume that Semyon will be starting a quarterback again. He was so awful last week. Uh, so what is the over-under for this game? I don't really see a ton of DFS appeal for this one. I actually like the Broncos side of it a lot. So the Broncos opened as one-point favorites. There's some really, really strong public betting on the Jets that has moved the line to, where it had moved the line to Jets, minus one and a half. But Sharp Money has dropped it back down. The Broncos are now plus one or pick them at basically everywhere. The over-under has gone up a bit. It's at 41 now. And the Broncos passing game is so insanely cheap. I definitely prefer Eli Manning to Trevor Simeon. Uh, Simeon's $200 more expensive, but the Broncos receivers who are definitely good receivers are priced as low as they've ever been. Demarius Thomas is at 5,000. So while I wouldn't really stack the Broncos passing game, I think Thomas makes sense. And I think Emmanuel Sanders makes sense at 4,700. I like those guys independently because the Jets passing defense has been abysmal lately. Simeon doesn't really need to do that much to provide value for his receivers. And Demarius Thomas had 10 targets last week, so it's not like they're not throwing him the ball. It's just Simeon wasn't very good. But this game is a home game, so there's a boost there. And Thomas's price has gone down, and he's in maybe not a better matchup than he had last week against the Dolphins, although it's a similar one because that game was a road game and this game is a home game. So Thomas is probably my favorite player in this game. He may be the only one that I'll use, though. Yeah, it's just tough because Simeon's not good. So that's, I mean, like, you're only, your wide receivers are only as good as the quarterback in terms of fantasy production. So while I think that Emmanuel Sanders and Demarius Thomas are good players individually, it doesn't do a lot if their quarterback can't get them the ball. So, yeah, I guess they're, I guess they're worth, like, one-offs or whatever, but not somebody who I want to have a ton of exposure to. Well, since your favorite quarterback this week is Eli Manning, I feel like you sort of have to amend that a little bit because... Uh, I know that you definitely I think, think, I think Eli's better. I think Eli's better than Semi in that. I think he is too, but how how much better can he be? I mean, Eli is pretty bad. I don't know. These they're both bad. It's just Eli's less bad, probably. Uh, also, that the Cowboys defense is twenty sixth in DVOA. The Jets defense. Uh, so Dallas. Yeah, they're both bad defense. The Jets are 27th uh, against the pass, too, and 18th against the run, so they are worse as a pass defense. They actually have a worse DVOA against the pass than the Cowboys do by not an insignificant amount, 21.6% pass defense DVOA compared to the Cowboys' 17%. So the, the Jets are worse against the pass. Yeah. No, it's really, I just, I still favor the Giants a little bit more. Uh, just because I personally, I think that Eli Manning is better than yeah. Than I I favor the Giants too. I just I probably would use both, just heavier on the Giants. All right. So next game on the slate is the Washington Redskins at the Los Angeles Chargers. So what do we have for this game, Matt? The Chargers open to seven point favorites. The line's actually down to six, though. Um, I don't think it's a ton of bias that's impacting it. I think the Redskins might be a little bit better of a team than people think. And the Chargers have benefited from some really easy matchups recently. They just beat the Browns. They had that game against the Bills, against Nathan Peterman. It's probably not that good of a Chargers uh, Chargers team. And the total for the game has just held steady at 46. So 
even though the Chargers are probably overvalued, I still think Keenan Allen is extremely viable just because he's been such a target monster and he's just been so good the last few weeks. Uh, if they're going to have him be that much a part of the offense, then it's almost like any price for him would still be worth it. So I think Keenan Allen is still in play, even though the Chargers are overvalued. And then from the Redskins side, I think it's the running game because the Chargers are 28th against the run in terms of DVOA. So uh, it's probably the Chargers passing game just because of Allen and then the Redskins run game because of the matchup. Yeah, I think uh, I like Allen. I don't really know how much exposure I'm going to have anywhere else. Probably close to none for me. Uh, next game on the slate, Seattle Seahawks at the Jacksonville Jaguars. So what is the Vegas information for this game? Because I know that there is a guy who we like that I don't think many people are going to like in this game. Yeah, the public is on the Seattle side in terms of betting. I don't think that's going to translate into DFS, though. So the the Jaguars open as three-and-a-half-point favorites. The line's only two-and-a-half now because a lot of people are taking Seattle. The over-under has been about 39-and-a-half all week. But the Jaguars are, while they're number one in pass defense DVOA, uh, they actually are not that good outside of defending number one receivers. So the percentage DVOA for the Jaguars against the other team's best receivers is negative 66.4%, which is so far above the next best. It's, it's really, it's, the Broncos are second at negative 41. Negative 66 essentially means that the first receiver is doing nothing the whole game. I mean, if Doug Baldwin has 30 yards, I think that would, that would be just a normal outcome. But the Jaguars are only middle of the pack against number two receivers. They're middle of the pack against tight ends. I think Jimmy Graham at 5,000 is usable against them. And then I think Mike Davis is also usable because the Jaguars aren't that good against the run. Sort of debatable now that they have Marcel Darius, but they are 23rd in run defense DVOA. And Mike Davis played most of the Seahawks snaps last week and only cost 3,700. So I think for Davis and Graham, it's a little bit about the matchup, but it's uh, more about the price for those guys, which has come down a lot because of who they're facing. Yeah, definitely. So last week, Mike Davis played 73% of the snaps at running back. And he was really the guy last week. It was uh, 5% between Rawls and uh, – so it was 5% for Rawls. I don't have it in front of me, so I'm just going off the top of my head. Uh, 15% for McKissick, and then I think 5% for Lacey. Somewhere around there was about the split. So I think if Mike Davis is going to play that much at such a cheap price, I think that he is a decent play. And then I also agree with you, Jimmy Graham. That's a bit too cheap for him because as good as the Jaguars have been against the pass, like you said – it hasn't really impacted how well they've defended tight ends. So last game on the slate, Philadelphia Eagles at the Los Angeles Rams. should be a high-scoring game, but the issue is just that everybody is really expensive for this game. So what is the over-under for this? Yeah, even though it's the highest total of the slate, it's actually seen a ton of sharp money towards the under. So the, the line opened at 51, and it's now actually only 48. I think that that's a really good indication that there's going to be a lot less scoring than people think. Uh, these teams both usually have very high over-unders. 48 is actually kind of a low number for both of them. The Eagles and Rams have been two of the best scoring teams in the league this year, and both teams have good defenses. The Eagles are third in defense DVOA. The Rams are fourth in defense DVOA. And the Rams are significantly better against the pass than the run, and the Eagles are a very uh, pass-heavy offense. So I think it's a really bad matchup for Philly. The Rams have actually moved from minus two to almost minus three now against the public. Uh, the Eagles are a public favorite this week, kind of as always. Very heavy sentiment on them from the betting masses. 
So the matchup's bad for the Eagles, uh, just in terms of the team's overall ability that they're playing against, but also just the style of defense that the Rams are good at. I think it kind of just makes everyone in this game unusable, and I also think ownership will be pretty high here just because they're very popular teams. So I really think it's just it's easy to avoid this game, and we've already mentioned several spots that we like a decent amount this week. There's just nothing that interesting from this game, even though 48 points might be the fair number now. Yeah, I think the biggest issue for me is just the pricing. Because if you look at, even though we do have a high over-under, it's still Philly third in defensive DVOA, Rams fourth in defensive DVOA. So I would still consider this to be a negative matchup for all the offensive players involved. And they're all really expensive. Todd Gurley's super expensive. Uh, Coop Cup, his price has gone up. Sammy Watkins is still pretty pricey. Carson Wentz, most expensive quarterback on the slate. So it's not that I don't expect points to be scored. It's just I don't expect a lot of these guys to pay off the huge salaries they have given the matchups. Yeah, and then Jared Goff is also the third most expensive quarterback on the slate. Even with Robert Woods out, Sammy Watkins has been someone we've liked. He's priced up to 5,600 now, and Nelson Aguilar, after a good game last week, has been priced up to 5,200. There's just, yeah, there's really nothing to like, even though there could be some scoring here. Yeah, that is how I see it as well. So that will wrap up today's podcast. You can follow me on Twitter, GRNBergDFS. Matt's Twitter handle is at PreachingSense, and we'll be back with a basketball podcast tomorrow.